Hello, and welcome to IBM Developer. I'm your host, Luke Schantz. In this episode of our Origin Story interview series, I have the pleasure to bring you a conversation with Nigel Brown. He's an IBM Developer Advocate in Austin. Hello, Nigel. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm glad we got to connect. It's, it's been a while. Uh, we met in uh, San Francisco, I think, last year. Yeah, yeah. Just before I moved to New York, actually. I, I don't know if I had gotten the job yet. I think I got the job uh, to be a developer advocate here. So it's, yeah, yeah. Right, right in that range of transitioning. Well, and I remember we have a lot in common, which I want to get to in this uh, interview, a lot of common, common passions and, and, and yeah. av- avocations. But uh, before we get into sort of the origin story and the fun stuff, not that your presentation isn't fun, but <laughs> you are giving a talk at the Cloud Native Security Conference. What's your talk about? Uh, my talk is about you know, adding secure storage to uh, Kubernetes. We're, we're focusing on cloud-native security with, um, with the conference. And yeah, the, the lab is meant to help you set up like, persistent storage in a secure fashion. Which I'm imagining now in, in the world we live in of hybrid multi-cloud, it, this is becoming more and more necessary because we're vulnerable everywhere, right? And it's, it's not just your application code, it is your data Right. And, it, and also, I feel like every week we read about another data breach from another company that, you know, made like using defaults for whatever the setups that they have and then ended up leaking a lot of sensitive information. And these are the kinds of things that we want to protect. I mean, I think that a large reason that people don't move to containers, that people are skeptical of cloud native is they have a lot of these security issues. They're like, well, you can't secure containers, you know, but um, that's you know, it's not really true, you know, and we want to be able to provide some examples of being able to, to secure your storage, your persistent volumes with, uh, with Kubernetes. People might also think you can't have hands-on labs in digital conferences, but apparently you can. Apparently you can. I mean, it's been what I've been doing for the last, you know, what has it been a few months of quarantine now, just a lot of, a lot of workshops and labs and dealing with you know, Kubernetes containers and OpenShift. And it's been interesting. It's, it's an adjustment, certainly. But hopefully what comes out of this is a lot more accessibility for the content that we're providing. So I want to parlay to this right away. When I met you in San Francisco, one of the things we talked about was you had done some very interesting program for a data lab in, uh, in New York State here. Maybe it was in, in the Yorktown Research Facility where you programmed a multi-channel audio system using a, a boutique environment called Maximus P. Could you tell me a little bit about that or tell our listeners? Yeah, sure. So uh, first of all, I love Max. Thank you, Cycling74. I suppose Ableton now. Um, it was essentially a room that was created in our IBM research lab in Yorktown Heights to provide like a, an immersive sense of the data. So they have this room, if you can imagine, with um, a bunch of robot arms suspended from the ceiling with 4K screens on them. And they form this sort of circle around like a table in the center. And each of the monitors, each of the arms had speakers above it. There were speakers in the ceiling. There were subwoofers in the room. And they weren't able to address the audio system like they were the videos. Like they had people that could put videos, split screens or like project onto the table and everything like that. And they wanted to have that same capability with the audio. Um, And they found out that I had had an audio background and like, well, come here, we have a project for you. Um, And and that's what I did. I used um, Max 8 because it's, uh, it allows you to run Node.js inside of Max. So it's like the whole Node for Max thing. And so I wrote a server um, to accept requests to place audio. And then I built out 
um, an audio player, a multi-channel audio player that would address the sound system and whatever configuration they wanted. So they, their, their spec was, we don't know anything about audio. We don't want to know anything about audio. I want to send a post request and I want sound to come out. And so that's what I did. I made it, <laughs> I made the API so that they just sent a post request and an address to a file and then it showed up in the room. This is so exciting. And just for our listeners and viewers who are not familiar with uh, what Max and what this environment's like, uh, could you give just a, a brief, uh, brief overview? Yeah, Max is an extremely flexible visual programming language. You have these objects that you can create and you like draw wires in between them to connect devices together. And so it's one of those things where you're really limited by your imagination. You don't have to know how to write code. I did because I needed to build like a, a server in Node.js. But for those who are looking to experiment with any sort of multimedia uh, manipulation, Max is a really good tool for that. And, and as you mentioned, they were purchased by uh, Ableton. So now it's like integrated with the, the, the DAW DJ right. tool. Right. So they have um, what's called Max for Live. Um, and you can make patches. You can create objects. You can create these, uh, create these really cool programs that interact with the Ableton Live program to give you more control, um, allow you to do some pretty interesting things with the music and lights and you know, video, whatever you'd like. Uh, again, like you're really just limited by your imagination. So this is actually a great segue now into what I really want to get to in this is the origin story portion. So it sounds like you've had a, a, an interesting arts background, but now you're working at Enterprise Tech. Take <laughs> me back to the, the original impetus that got you started in, in you know, arts and tech and then take us on the journey to, to today. <laughs> Right. So I suppose it, like most of these stories, starts from childhood, um, being obsessed with music. Um, and I played music in high school, but not very seriously. Um, I was in the band for four years and I liked marching. I liked, you know, the, the show of being in a marching band in the South. I'm originally from South Carolina. Uh, and uh, I didn't know that that's what I was going to do long term. Uh, when I left high school, I was pretty laser focused on being a pilot in the Air Force. Uh, and so I graduated high school and I went to the Air Force Academy um, and I was there for about a year and a half before my health kind of got in the way of me going any further. And when I was deciding what I wanted to do, like they have a beautiful chapel there at the Air Force Academy and I had been doing sound in it. Um, and I decided I didn't want to go back to South Carolina and I wanted to go to California instead. Um, so I went to California and I was looking around to see what I could do. I was like, well, I love music. I love records. So maybe I could be a DJ. Um, so <laughs> I went to a DJ store. He's like, Hey, I want to get some lessons. Or I went to a record store to, to, cause they taught DJ lessons. I was like, Hey, I want to, I want to learn how to be a DJ. And like, well, what's your background? I was like, well, I like sound and you know, I like music. Like, well, if you like sound, this is art school. You should go check out. Um, and so I did, I went to, I went to an art school in Emeryville, California. Um, I studied sound arts there. I graduated top of my class um, and got to do some really interesting things in the music industry. I worked as a freelance sound engineer, touring with bands, making records, you know, um, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and it just kind of got to a point where I wanted some more stability in my life. Um, it was very like feast or famine. Like, you know, you have like, concert festival season in the summer and you get a tour you're great if you don't then you're kind of hustling doing local shows and everything and it's a lot of fun but my body and my health just couldn't keep up 
Um, and the whole time that I was doing all of this, I was getting really into like building and fixing things. I'd repaired old audio equipment, repaired like stereo equipment. I had worked for a record label that releases music on quarter inch two track tape. I had been all around like this analog electronics and then also getting in a little bit into like beta testing software and wondering what makes things tick. And I figured maybe I should try this out. Um, I'm kind of limited by my knowledge in electrical engineering and computer science. And so I signed up at a community college in Oakland uh, and yeah, I took some programming classes and then um, got some really cool internships, got really involved in the hackathon scene. And one of my internships was with IBM research. Uh, and that's when I went out there for the summer and I built that, um, that audio tool for the, for the, uh, for the data space. Um, and then I went, I transferred to university. I was going to the University of California, San Diego, earning a degree in computer engineering and was not liking it at all. Um, there were so many things that were going on. The school just, I don't know, like they weren't set up to handle things that weren't the typical college audience you know I at this point had been a disabled veteran dealing with like mental health being a black man in a very not diverse place there's like so much that comes along with being me that did not at all fit the mold of San Diego and UC San Diego in particular um, and I was very fortunate that IBM was running a hackathon at my school um, and they asked me to come and speak about, hey, could you talk about what it's like to intern for IBM Research? I was like, absolutely. Uh, and they were a little bit short on mentors for the hackathon, the, the ones who were coming and hadn't arrived yet. And so I ended up staying and helping out a little bit. And then when the mentors came, they were IBM developer advocates. And, you know, one of them in particular, shout out to Ubkar, uh, was saying, hey, man, like, you're pretty good at this. Um, have you considered developer advocacy? Like, I don't know what that is. You know, say, like, well, if my team had an opening, like we would hire you tomorrow. Um, and I went and looked online and I saw that there was an opening on the New York city team. And it was at the time I was deciding to drop out of school. And so that kind of solidified it for me. It's like, okay, I'm dropping out. And I asked Ukar to make a recommendation. He referred me to the manager in New York and yeah, I interviewed and got the job, dropped out of school, <laughs> moved from California to New York and, started being a developer advocate for IBM. Wow. That is, I, I've, I knew some of that story. I did not know the whole backstory there about the, the Air Force and fighter pilot, but what an interesting journey you've been on. And so now, okay, now we're to present day and, uh, or near present day. So what has your experience as, as an advocate been like? I love the function of my job. It is so cool. There's so many avenues in my life that I've taken every opportunity that I can to be a tutor, teacher, like kind of mentor kind of thing. And to have it be my day-to-day -day job is truly a dream come true. Um, I'm not saying that this job doesn't come without its difficulties, um, especially being at you know a hundred year old company. There's a lot of bureaucracy. <laughs> um, and it's like, it's for me, like the good, excuse me, for me, the good far outweighs the bad. Like it's like, it's been, it's been a really good growth opportunity. I feel very supported by my management, which is good <laughs> because yeah, I know that, you know, being at big places, like your experience can vary based on where you are, but I've been really fortunate with the leadership that I currently have that are just like really looking out for me, um, making sure that, you know, I have the accommodations that I need to be a good engineer here. Um, and also like with all of the turmoil that's going on in the world, that's like affecting me uniquely. <laughs> um, it's, it's good to be, to feel supported by my management. 
Well, that is very heartening to hear, and I, I do agree that it's it's hard to it's easy to make cliche gener- generalizations about, say, you know, enterprise companies, but it they are not homogenous things, and the experience can really vary throughout. And you know, just uh, as you said, it's a hundred year old company, and it's you know, it's gone through a lot of changes, and it's it's going through more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, wow. So, um. Tech-wise, let me ask you this. Give me, give me an understanding of what your tech landscape's like, what you're interested in, and, and sort of what paths you, you, want, you see in the near future for yourself. Right. So I got really into supercomputers, like high-performance computing, and that was just like, I don't know what it was about it, but when I was at uh, my community college in Oakland, uh, shout out to Laney, um, shout out to NERSC. Uh, which is a supercomputing center that is built off of Berkeley Labs, um, Lawrence Berkeley Labs. Uh, There's this amazing competition that's put on by the supercomputing conference uh, where a bunch of students from different schools get together and they build high-performance computing clusters and they compete against each other to like see whose cluster runs the best. And they're running like real-world applications, doing a lot of like modeling, scientific modeling, reproducing research, you know, building like <laughs> building performance testing, like doing all of the things that you would need to administer a supercomputer cluster. And they came to uh, Laney and they're like, hey, we're trying to build a team. And our team was selected to go to compete. And it was just an amazing experience. And through that, I got very into a lot of, a lot of system configuration, um, a lot of compiling things from source. And when I transferred to San Diego, they uh, have a supercomputer center there as well. Um, And uh, they were looking into containers and they were trying to do performance modeling for containers on supercomputers. I can do this. Like they, like we were doing a little bit with containers from NERSC and from, uh, from supercomputing competition. And I wanted to get into it. And so I got into doing that and I presented some research about, you know, how, the performance changes as you're scaling applications with containers across, you know, a couple hundred, couple thousand nodes on a supercomputer. Um, and so that kind of got me into the whole cloud native, you know, things. I was doing some uh, Node.js stuff before, as I mentioned with the server um, and, you know, doing some of the system configuration stuff. And that kind of set me up to like build on that container knowledge and then start getting into Kubernetes and OpenShift. So I do I do some low level things dealing with like C and C plus plus and like make and all of those like writing a lot of bash to configure builds um, and to do a little bit of system administration and then like I do some Node.js programming and then um, Java when I'm forced to. And I'm imagining now that you're at IBM, there's there's all all sorts of HPC resources that you could get yourself into. I would like to see us sponsor some teams at the at the competition. Um, but yeah, I mean, IBM has the number one and two fastest computers in the world with Summit and Sierra um, doing amazing research for COVID right now, which is awesome. I, I could see myself getting more into that down the line or even doing more music and DSP things down the line. I'm still kind of figuring out what my path is. Um, you know, I feel like I got a little time. I'm still learning my job, still getting good at my job. So it's, it's, I'm okay right now. You had mentioned earlier that you got involved in the hackathon scene, and that was actually where you met uh, Upcar and, and got your your uh, the the spark of the idea to work at IBM. So, tell me a little bit what it was like, or how you got involved initially, and then what that journey through the hackathon scene was like. 
Right. Yeah. Hackathons have been instrumental in like me becoming an engineer. It's where I first felt confident that I could write software. Um, I got involved in when I was at community college, I went to a game jam. We made a video game. Uh, our game was amazing. We won a bunch of awards. <laughs> um, and, and from there I started going to more and more hackathons. And the next one that I went to was at this like kind of like coding school boot camp. Um, and part of it was sponsored by IBM. And I met um, two developer advocates there, uh, Jean-Carl and Leonard, um, who were at the time on the San Francisco team. Um, and I built uh, an application for that, that would aid in like suicide prevention using uh, Watson services. Uh, and it won that, the category for like best use of like Watson at that hackathon. And from there, like when, when I was interviewing at IBM and they saw that on my resume that I had had experience using Watson APIs and like had experience with hackathons and not only that I had been attending them, but because I loved them so much and I didn't see them happening at the community college level. I hosted my own at my community college. I got a couple of friends together. It's like, Hey, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be amazing. Um, and credit to them for <laughs> sticking with me to that. Um, we hosted the first hackathon that our community colleges had um, and just kind of carrying on with that, like doing more and more hackathons is what got me invited to come and speak at the hackathon at, uh, at, UC San Diego for, for a call for code um, with uh, Dennis and Upkar and all these amazing IBMers that, uh, that I met there. Um, and so I just, for me, it's just, I know there's like a lot of trepidation. I know that I had it about like, when am I a real engineer? Um, and like, I have like massive imposter syndrome because I didn't finish my CS degree. Like I, like um, I'm here doing a, a software engineering role, you know, without what everyone says, you need to have this thing. Um, and I would say that, you know, what helped give me the confidence that I could build and, and, and do things was getting really involved in hackathons and then finding a community. And that's a large part of what developer advocacy is to me is not only finding a community, but building it where you are, you know, like there are these technologies that we're supposed to be teaching to people, but people really don't care what you have to say until they know that you care about them. And so for me, like all of this is like an excuse to build community around technology. And then we start with, okay, let me tell you what Kubernetes is. Let me tell you what OpenShift is. But when you have a, a group collected around like a common cause, like looking out for each other and technology, then, you know, we can, we can handle the tech stuff. But the important part is that we're, we're connecting with, with our communities. We're, we're, we're building these sort of like, I don't know, building these groups that people want to be a part of, that they want to give back to. Um, and I feel like uh, we're not doing our jobs well if we're not engaging our audiences on that level. That was an excellent answer. I actually never participated in hackathons uh, m myself, but when I became an advocate and started attending them, I could see from people attending multiple hackathons and, and I could see the transformation of like, Oh my goodness, this, this, this guy came in, uh, in in the first hackathon and he was nervous. He didn't know how to talk. And then you see him three hackathons later, they won second place. And he's, yeah. you know, it, like it, it really is. Uh, and it's, I think it's, uh, it teaches you with very low risk how to work on a team. Right, right. And also the, the aspect of presenting. So I want to I shout out MLH for sure. Like there, so Major League Hacking is one of the orgs that sanctions these student hackathons. They're based out of New York. Um, and if you're looking to get into hackathons, just MLH.io. There's one happening 
around you. I mean, they're all digital right now because of COVID, but um, when, when things do open up, you'll, you'll find them. Um, and I will say that, yeah, it's like, excuse me. It's like you said, like getting that experience and like feeling more confident. Cause it's not about necessarily winning the prize. Like that's cool. But like, we don't want to focus too much on like that, but just getting to a place where you're taking all of this theoretical knowledge that you learn, you know, it's like the difference in like being able to like play your scales really well and then like write a beautiful song. You know, it's like we're, we're practicing our scales, learning our data structures and algorithms. We're doing our rudiments in our courses, but we're not necessarily taking that to, to build anything with it, you know, and it just like being able to freestyle, you know, being able to, to just give it a go, see what, see what, see something come out of your head and into real life is a really like powerful and validating experience that I, I cannot understate the importance of. So um, I, I, I have a lot of love for hackathons. I have a lot of love for community building. Um, and yeah, if you, if you're interested in that sort of thing, definitely check out MLH and um, see if you might see a familiar face on MLH's top 50 hackers of 2020. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that that, that is you. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> so yeah, they they um they did a thing this year uh where they recognized like the most like inspirational stories of like the hackers that they've come into contact over the you know, I think it's like a hundred thousand, you know, plus students that they've engaged with. Um and yeah, for a lot of the reasons that we've already talked about, like for starting my own hackathon, you know, for you know, making a path you know, out of what what is the extremely non traditional. Um and then just yeah, talking a lot about community building because it's really important. Um, yeah, they they uh, awarded me with that, and I was <laughs> humbled and excited that yeah that something good is coming out of everything that I'm going through because it has been hard fought getting to this place. Um, it uh, I struggled tremendously with you know to depression and you know with like these like feelings of adequacy and having an opportunity to share my story and to hear and to see that people not only are affected by hearing it, but like they're making some sort of positive impact as a result or that I'm able to, you know, be able to give back. Like it's, I, I it's, it's, it's incredible. And I'm, I'm humbled and grateful that, yeah, that I'm, I'm able to, to be here and, and to do these things. So let me ask you, how has, I, I know what it's like when the, when before uh, COVID and what what the sort of community scene was like. How has your job changed now that everything is remote? Has this been harder? And how I'm sure it has been, but how how have you how has it changed? And and what are you doing that's working? So it's changed a lot because <laughs> to me, like I know that things are going well from connecting with the audience, from <laughs> looking in their faces and seeing how they're feeling, and that's not something that. I have the luxury of being able to do here. Um, it's more like I'm talking at a screen in my apartment by myself. Um, and it's, it's challenging. It's disorienting. Um, it's, it's a lot, but I think that what's been working is just like, I'm trying to be as candid as possible. <laughs> like this, this persona is like what you get in my workshops. There's no like, you know, professor thing that turns on, you know, it's just like, this is who I am. And I want to show you these things that I think are cool. And I think that people are responding to that. And often I'll be checking in 
was like, hey, just want to make sure everyone's still with me because I feel like I'm just here talking to my computer by myself. And then I'll see like a wall of like plus ones in the chat or like a thumbs up or something like that. And that helps me know that things are going well. And then for like the audience, for the community, like we're trying to get feedback and learn what's working and what's not. And, you know, when our attendees write letters and say, hey, this is like, this was really good. You know, this is something that maybe we could do differently. We're modifying a lot. So there's a workshop that I've given a lot in person. That's like a two hour OpenShift 101 that turns out over digital is kind of dense and hard to follow. So we split it up over two days as opposed to doing it in one shot for two hours. Um, and then also uh, one tremendous benefit is just the increased accessibility. Like we're, we're able to transmit these talks into mediums and to have them recorded automatically and presented there for people to come back and check out afterwards. Like it's like, it's, it's amazing that we're able to, to have that sort of flexibility. So it is challenging because yeah, I don't know how I'm doing like 80% of the time. <laughs> um, and I want to make sure that people are getting what they came for. You know, like we want, we want to, we want to engender, you know, community. We want to, you know, we want to make sure that people are learning these topics. Like, um, and it's hard to do when there's not that like one-to-one -one interaction, but I think solving that problem, figuring it out is going to work. It's going to be a huge asset for us when things do open up again. That is really interesting. The benefits will take forward, you know, w once we are able to meet face to face, how much more impact can we still have with everything we've learned here? Interesting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, and that's and that's what i'm that's what i'm looking for like especially like like dealing with like you know time periods with a lot of pain time periods with a lot of struggle it's like trying to make sure that it wasn't for nothing you know trying to find the good and and to to hold on to that and to use that to grow into you know into the next level because things won't be the same anymore like the world is different <laughs> like everything has changed and how do we help create the future that we want to see with the tools that we have? What do we learn from this experience? What, what's important to us? What do we value? Like what, and especially like in these times, like answering that question, okay, like what makes me feel like I belong when I'm not there in person? Like, how do I know that they care about me and like my learning journey when they can't see me and like give like lip service to me specifically, you know, like it's, finding and figuring out these things like actually make people feel like they belong actually make people feel like we want them there and actually be able to teach them and to create this like not just a one shot like not not just a one-time thing but like having it be like sticky interactions where they they keep coming back like we're, we're trying to we're trying to like see a community come out of it and and i feel like the way to do that is to is to help people to to help them see that they belong here not just like our org but in tech you know like finding them people that you know look and sound like them to to teach them these things you know like that is possible to learn it because i didn't have a lot of role models and it made me feel like well is this something that i can even do because i don't i've not seen anybody doing it like that before so it's it's something that 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 i think about um that i'm, I'm conscious of you know trying to make sure that we have good representation and that we're catering to the folks that are coming, you know, when, if, if you're making the effort to make sure that the people who are on the fringes feel welcome, then there's like, you're covering so much, you know, a theme I'm picking up on here, which I think could be really good for our audience to, to understand 
how is advocacy different than other things? The, the theme I'm picking up on is really the, the empathy and, and caring about the audience. Yeah, empathy is a huge thing for me. It's, it's, and not just, for, not just for the reasons of building community, but also for like troubleshooting, for, for putting ourselves in the shoes of our users when, when we're creating our applications. Like, how are these people going to use this because of their experiences? putting ourselves in their shoes to create these more uh these more like aware products these more like like we're taking more things into account um and i think that that definitely comes out as well in the advocacy and the thing that i would say about advocacy is like my job is not sales i don't i'm not a salesperson i'm not a marketing person i'm i'm here for the developers like advocacy is the long game like marketing, you know, we've got a billboard here. We listen to this, you know, 30 second ad with these buzzwords and check out the, this Twitter post. And there's, there's a lot of value in that to get eyes on, to get like brand recognition, to get them to click through. But once they're there, what do we do with them? You know, like that's, and that's what advocacy is trying to answer. And if we're like, so technology focused, we're like, okay, we're building this community. Um, this, this group is gathered here to talk about Kubernetes. What happens when the next thing comes out? You know, like then where do those people go? Like, have we abandoned them? But if we're building this collective, hey, we're trying to cater to these engineers who are working at these companies who are solving these problems around like cloud native engineering or who are solving these, you know, like if we're focusing more on the people, then like whenever technology changes, like we can go on those journey with journeys with them. So it's like, it's 100% the long game. And it's like, I, I definitely cater more towards the community building side than like the technology side. And I have a lot of people that balance me out, which is good. So that we're able to provide like exactly like giving not only IBM what they want, because at the end of the day, we are trying to drive developers to IBM cloud and like to get them to consume the product, as you said, but to, to do it in a way where it doesn't feel forced to do it in a way where it doesn't feel like I'm like giving them a bill of goods, you know, it's like, no, I'm not like, I'm, I'm eating the dog food. Like this is, this is what I use. This is how I'm building things. Um, and I want to share that with you, but also I just want to hear from you. Like what are the topics that are important to you? Cause that's one of the cool things about being at IBM is like, we're not pushing a particular product. Like we have a ton of products that we have and it's just like, okay, you're into AI, you're into machine learning. We've got content. We've got people that we can call to like help cater to that experience. You know, you're into distributed systems or like databases or storage. We've got a bunch of people that can. And so for, for me, it's a lot of listening to the community and hearing from them what they're trying to learn and then being able to provide that content with them. And then also creating these like loops with the people who are building these products to say, okay, we showed this product to a couple hundred people. Here's the feedback that they have. Can we add this feature to make it like, this is unclear. This documentation doesn't work. Can we do that? And, and like helping us make better products from hearing from the people that are using them. So it's like, it's a bit of bridging those worlds of, of making sure that we're like catering to a group of people that are consuming the products, but also making sure that their voices are heard as we're developing more things into the future. That's the only way we're going to have longevity. This, I, I really, this really resonates and it's uh, again to heartening to hear. And the, I think uh, you really embody the passion. And I think that's what what the community recognizes, right? So you said that technology is maybe isn't your, your main focus, but clearly you have a lot of passion for it. Yeah. And I do like, 
I do like I am a technologist. I am a software engineer. I love to build things. I have, you know, dozens of projects that are in various states of, you know, doneness <laughs> as most engineers do. Um, I, I care a lot about the engineering aspect of it. I care as well that, you know, if we say that we're here to build community, like that we're actually doing that and taking the steps that are necessary for that. And a part of that service to the community is providing this high quality content that helps them in their jobs, you know? Um, and that's, uh, that's something that I'm focused on as well. It's like, how do we, how do we raise the level? How do we give them something that they haven't had before um, in a way that, you know, that they can hear and understand, you know, I have a unique perspective because of my life experiences and, you know, the rest of the people on the team have unique perspectives because of their life perspective, because of their life experiences. And so finding the right people for the right audiences is something that is, is really good. Good to see that, I think that we're doing well and I think that it works a little bit better with online now because we have like, we're not, you know, we're not restricted to like a, a, a radius of, you know, 20 miles or whatever, you know, dealing with like being in like a physical New York city at a particular time of day, but we're putting this content online, having people, you know, whenever they want to access it, they, they can. And then finding a way to, to, you know, reach our users um, and yeah, help them feel like they belong. Something you said there, which uh, I think is really key, is also, you know, it's it's not about, oh, we covered, you know, OpenShift or we covered block storage, mission accomplished. Good advocacy is about having this plurality of how you tell the story, because maybe, you know, maybe I relate to, you know, one person more than another. And that that's that that's a fundamental key that helps me learn that. I think what you were bringing up was a good point about like being able to relate to groups like I have experience from having been in the military or having worked in the music industry. Um, I have like analogies around motorcycles cause I love those, you know, and I have like, I have things that like I've built and done that perhaps resonate with an audience that's good. Um, but sometimes I'm not the right person for the audiences. Um, and we have a lot of other people. So I think that's like the beauty of what we're trying to provide here at IBM is, you know, a variety of experiences and perspectives that, you know, hopefully reach, whoever it is that, that, that are coming. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I think uh, I, I knew it was going to be exciting because we, I knew we had some common ground, but we really, I think, got into the heart of, you know, I think we really addressed what is advocacy and, and for, for uh, you know, in addition to the, the fun stuff we talked about. So uh, not that advocacy isn't fun. I just, <laughs> I just get so excited about there's Max MSP and Blend, Blender 3D are yeah. – yeah. Like you get one beer in me and I'm just like talking about, I can't, I'm trying to convince everybody that they should use these softwares. <laughs> yeah, no, Max 8 is incredible. I'm, I'm very glad that it exists. I'm curious to see what, you know, cycling does more down the road. Um, but yeah, I, I have a lot of <laughs> varied interest in things and it's easy to catch me going off on tangents. So hopefully I didn't uh, digress too much. Uh, but yeah, whenever you want to do this, just let me know. I'm around, you know. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to chat, oh, Nigel. And uh, yeah, let, let's do it again soon. Sounds good. Bye, y'all.